Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 73, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Uh, Before we dive into things, I have a couple events coming up that I want to talk about. The Frederick Craft Spirits Festival for the second year will be held in Frederick. This time at the Great Frederick Fairgrounds, so they can avoid the downpour that took place last <laughs> year. Uh, it'll be from 2 to 6 p.m. on April 21st. And if you go to frederickspiritsfestival.com, tickets are now available. And then next weekend, uh, not, not the weekend, Friday, which I guess is kind of the weekend, um, the Mic'd Up Mango release, the collaboration I did with Monoxy Brewing Company, will we'll have a release party Friday March 23rd, 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, Double Motorcycle will be playing, and the Java Cruiser food truck will be there. And I'll be there and handing out pint glasses and fun stuff like that. But let's get into the very important stuff of my guests this today. We have Len Foxwell, Chief of Staff for Comptroller Peter Francho, and then Crazy Internet Poster Lady, <laughs> and also, to a lesser extent, co-founder of Attaboy Beer, <laughs> Carly Ogden. Woo-hoo. Hi. Hey, Chris. It's good hey. to be here. Thank you for joining me. So, hopefully, we're coming up to a decision that will, or a vote that's going to go in the favor of craft beer lovers. Um, I think first, maybe we'll just talk about the testimony that took place a few weeks ago. At this point, now it was it was the twenty third, right? Twenty third of February. February twenty yeah. third. Where the House, uh, what's the Economic Matters Committee, had their hearing for all of the beer legislation. Were there other bills that day too, or was it just alcohol day? No, there were 19 bills in, in, in all, Chris, and we were number 19 on the docket. Okay. <laughs> so they, uh, the room was packed by people supporting um, the craft beer industry, brewery owners. Um, but in, at least from watching them, it seemed like the vast majority of people that were there were there to support the brewers. And then, for uh, a little, and some very very well dressed people on the side, maybe <laughs> representing out of state interests. I thought Carly was pretty well dressed too. <laughs> <laughs> some nicer watches were lining the side of the <laughs> the room. So I think. A lot of people, at least uh, from what they've said to me and then things I've seen posted, left feeling deflated or somewhat depressed. Um, However, Len, you were at least, I think you said cautiously optimistic. Was that the term you used? Or like you didn't didn't seem to feel as defeated as a lot of people did. Well, first of all, Chris, thanks for having me here. I'm a long-time fan of the Uncapped Podcast, first-time guest. So it's just an honor to be here uh, on, on set with Carly, who is just one of Maryland's most amazing brewers. And she and Brian really do embody what it is we're fighting for with the Reform on Tap effort. Amazing. And she must really like you, too, because when I invited her on this time, she <laughs> didn't say uh, she didn't ask if I wouldn't be here. She just said yes. Wow. So. I, I wish I had that much stroke in my own household. Uh, but no, Chris, you know, there's a lot of noise that day. It was a long day. It was a, it was a very emotional day and it was played against the backdrop of some old fashioned legislative rivalries that exist between the House of Delegates and and the Comptroller and a lot of times the personal is political and the political arena bleeds over into the legislative process. But a couple things happened that day that leave me cautiously optimistic that something is going to happen. Now, it may not happen this year. It may not happen in the fashion right off the bat that we would hope, but something is going to happen because we were there for nine hours. We got there at noon. We finally left sometime around quarter after nine. And here was what I saw when you strip away all the noise. First, the the breadth and the passion of support for reforming Maryland's fundamentally broken beer laws was off the chain. I mean, we had people from all walks of life we had. We had brewers. We had retailers, local elected officials, economic development officials who are responsible for bringing good-paying jobs and 
generating economic development and bringing revenue into their communities. And they were there from every corner of our state to say, we have to do something better than we're doing right now to attract and retain Maryland's brewers. The legislature, regardless of how they may feel personally about Peter Franco and the methods he uses to build support for House Bill 518, they cannot, they cannot ignore that level of support. Politicians that ignore the will of the people tend to become ex-politicians in a hurry. So that was number one. Number two, I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of lawmakers at the table trying to justify the occurrences of last year when House Bill 1283 was introduced, passed at warp speed, and amended and signed into law. That tells me that they are hearing quite a bit of feedback from their own constituents about what really happened in Annapolis in those final weeks of the 2017 General Assembly. And then with all that happening, the, 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 the recriminations and the shouting, not one lawmaker offered a substantive objection to what was proposed in House Bill 518. I didn't hear one piece of critique about uh, eliminating the artificial limits on taproom sales and take-home sales and um, class five and class seven production and um, you know, free, you know, liberating brewers from this ridiculous franchise law that handcuffs them to their distributors, even ones that are doing a bad job and maybe conducting business in an unethical manner. So. I left the room, like I said, it was a long day, but at day's end, there was no no objection to the fundamental cause of fixing fundamentally bad, broken, outdated laws. It leads me to believe that there's some room here to operate. We'll, We'll figure out the timing, we'll figure out what that looks like as we move forward this year and into the next year. And I'm glad you you feel that way because I you definitely have a lot of experience. Twenty five years in town in, in the general <laughs> legislative arena. So you you've been there before. You've seen how things progress. Whereas this is really the first time I I've watched any kind of uh, committee meetings or committee hearings and. At the state level, I'll watch local Frederick County. They're not all Frederick. like that. I'll, I'll end the suspense and, for you. Yeah. So and that, that, remember, that was the first thing I asked you because I was just, I was semi appalled by how our elected officials were behaving at times where I, like, it really felt like they were trying to put on a show occasionally and at, sometimes straight up attacking people. One of those people, Carly, <laughs> where they definitely did not like your argument. Um, so ha- have you ever seen that before, With, like where it's, it seems that contentious, that um, adversarial? Chris, it's an interesting question. Now, I've seen, I've seen my share of emotional bill hearings before, but they have, ten- they have tended to be on highly controversial and divisive issues when we've, we've had debates in the past on the abolition of the death penalty, for instance, or on same-sex marriage well, yeah that's i guess i should even frame it further around like while as craft beer fans and right. business owners we care about this but in the grand scheme of thing it really is just beer i mean i've seen yeah. I, i've seen i've seen long and emotional hearings on issues where there is a strong body of opinion on both sides of the issue where there is a strong pro side and a strong anti side i've never seen anything like that on an issue where the where there's overwhelming public consensus that something has to be done to create a more a fairer and a more equitable environment for Maryland craft brewers, once you get outside the Economic Matters Committee, there is almost unanimous consensus among just the average public. Forget the you know the local elected officials and the economic development people, just the average consumer. They understand that this is this is about local people brewing good beer and providing good times and rebuilding communities. Everybody says we've got to rebuild manufacturing in the state of Maryland. We have to be a state that makes things again. Well, people like Carly and Brian Ogden, they're the manufacturers of the 21st century. They're market savvy. They're producing a product that people love. They're creating a destination for locals and tourists alike. And in so doing, they are participating in the revitalization of the community in which they live and raise a family. We have to be rolling out the red carpet to encourage people like Brian and Carly to stay here in Maryland 
the message they're getting from the General Assembly at this point is just the opposite, that we really don't value our small and independent brewers. Fortunately, with 518, they have a chance to make it right and to reset that perception. They need to pass the bill. So do you get the sense that they're that 518 has a chance? Or is it just the same as last year where it's not even worth guessing because everyone thought 1420 last year was going to move forward and would, probably that's what would become the basis of where amendments would be added and work off of instead of an even worse version of 1283 that had first been submitted. Well, I, I, was, uh, I was told as a kid that God works in mysterious ways. Well, so does the House Economic Matters Committee. Uh, but, <laughs> so it's, it's impossible, impossible for me to really forecast what they're going to do. But here's what I do know. We've been talking to legislators uh, in the days and weeks since that hearing. You know, we waited for some time for tempers to calm so we could go in and have an honest conversation with folks or with, you know, at, the, at the right decibel level. And even to this day, and it, it's been you know, it's been two weeks, more than two weeks since the bill hearing. None of the members of this committee have raised a substantive objection. And Carly, I don't know if you've talked to your lawmakers or not. I don't know if they've expressed any particular frustration or any particular point of opposition. We haven't heard anything. Well, uh, what we've seen is, you know, um, at least my, myself and our staff have reached out um, and definitely, you know, some of our local vendors that kind of rely on us as one of their main clients. I've been, you know, bothering all of them, reach out, reach out. And I get emails right back from people. And most of the time it's like, I'm not on that committee, but I support you. When it comes to me, I'll support it. So if anything, we're getting that. And to me, it means that, you know, last year when we emailed, we wouldn't get a response or we'd get a response in six months, but via letter. They know this is important and they've been hearing from it from probably so many different sides um, that I, you know, I've got. I just sent out a reminder email two days ago and people emailed within an hour, you know, and then wow. one person actually replied back that they were supporting, you know, a bill that I was like, and I went nuts on my <laughs> email. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, sorry, sorry, I got it wrong. I, I, I meant I'm supporting 518, That's you know, great. like, That's and cool. then, then I apologize. I'm like, sorry, sorry. Just so important to so many of us. I think, um, I think all of Frederick's representatives That's have. Right. Oh, Frederick, have for, come sure, out. for sure. I, well, they, I mean, how could you, uh, you know, not support this when you see what it's doing for Frederick County and for the city of Frederick. And it being the East Coast craft beer capital. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think one thing from that I picked up from the um, hearings, well, one was a little bit of shock and awe. I was, I was a little bit surprised. Um, and then two, uh, I, I took away the testimony from a lot of the, um, from a lot of the public officials, like, you know, the different mayors and different economic development people as um you know that's someone that clearly is you know bipartisan or sorry part am i nonpartisan nonpartisan there we go thank you uh who just sees the benefit for their community and i i I took away some of their testimony as some of the strongest um of of people you know i'm not a craft beer restaurant or i'm not a this i'm not a that like i see what this is doing for my community and my downtown um, and so I thought those were some of the stronger um, voices to be heard that I was I, I, I came away, you know, with that initial like, whoa, I didn't know it's going to get so chippy. And I, oh, I it, yeah, I was I was early in the day and I got a little bits of it. I think if I would have known it was going, I would have been a little bit more prepped to come in a little, <laughs> a little back harder on some of the questions I got. Um, but, yeah, it was it definitely. I left with a little bit of shock, but also like, wow, there's some amazing things being said here. And I hope people are listening beyond, you know, just a small group that seemed to have, you know, headphones on and wanted to just rehash nonsense. Well, I have to tell you that, I mean, Carly's absolutely right. And I'll add that Carly did a phenomenal job. She came in, hit her point strong. She answered some tough questions and she really represented this industry um, exceptionally well. So thank you, Carly. And thanks for leaving your business for several hours while you had to come down and endure all that. But getting back to the point of no substantive objection to the provisions of House Bill 518, what it leads me to believe is if the legislature is able to vote on the bill on the merits, 
if they sort if they separate the politics and their campaign contributions and their 20-year relationships with Nick Manis and Steve Wise and those guys, and they just listen to their constituents, listen to their local leaders, and focus on the positive outcomes of, uh, of, a, of a better set of beer laws, they're going to vote to support the reform on TAP Act. If this bill goes down, we'll know that it had nothing to do with the substance or the merits. It was all based on their relationship with these corporate lobbyists who have had way too much power in Annapolis for way too long. So we'll see. So that's that's one thing um, that has confused me, at least from the retail lobby, where like opposition is attributed to them. However, at least almost everyone, every like uh, restaurant or craft beer pl- uh, retailer in the Frederick area that I've talked to, they they don't feel that they're being hurt by brewery tap sales that the so i wonder like where is that coming from is that just lobbyists it's a blood oath i mean the retailers and the distributors have that that is a that is a that is a chain that just can't be broken so Uh, it doesn't matter what people down further are saying it's just those those two, those two those two sectors the retailers and the distributors they stick together no matter what okay I mean I'm just giving one example is what you just mentioned you talk to you talk to the average retailer and they'll say my goodness of course a thriving craft beer sector is good for me if if brewers can produce more beer and offer it to more of their customers in their tap rooms well of course they're going to come in and uh, and shop in my store and while they're at it they're going to pick up a nice bottle of wine and a bottle of Prosecco and maybe a bottle of you know vodka or rum, and that's money coming into my store. Especially because if one thing craft beer enthusiasts have proven is that we will spend an obscene amount of money on alcohol. Well, we, <laughs> well, Chris, if you remember back in in May of last year, we did a poll. We asked uh, we asked twenty five hundred Maryland consumers, how many of you will restock your fridge uh, by when, by going to your local package store as opposed to going back to the tap room. And 73% said, yes, I'll go and visit my local package store. And then we asked, how many of you will buy something else while you're in there? And 71% said, yes, we will. So that's, that's, that's money coming into the cash register that would not have come. That's foot traffic. That's money that wouldn't have happened were it not for the craft beer industry. Yeah. And to add to that, like, I, it's just not a possible to go into a tap room every weekend and fill up your growler like even when I have a big I have three older brothers when everyone comes into town we go to the liquor store you know and buy a case of all day IPA and uh, you know pick up it's just the you're not buying crowlers of beer to drink all weekend it's one it's a pain and a pain in the rear to come to Attaboy to come get your beer it's more expensive and it's I don't just think n- your marketing person will like that. <laughs> no, I, you know it, <laughs> it's worth like, every penny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, cra- being a craft beer fan. It, it's just like a wine fan or any other, you know, high end alcohol is an expensive hobby. And there is that moment where you're like, I'm have family in town. I need to go get some union, you know, some cases in union and some other stuff. And you know, God forbid, sometimes we drink Tecati. You know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny. Joe Petro from Hair of the Dog Wine and Spirits in Easton, he was one of our panelists testifying in favor of the reform on tap bill. Now, this is the probably the best package store on the midshore. It's my package store, so I'm a little biased. And Joe said, you know, "A rising tide lifts all boats." Here, if if the brewers can produce more, the retailers will sell more, and guess what? The distributors will distribute more mm-hmm. because. Yeah, Union, Flying Dog, Heavy Seas, a lot of larger brewers, um, even if they had unlimited self-distribution privileges or even if they had uh, had a more got rid of the franchise law, they've each said, we're going to keep using distributors because they don't want to be in the trucking business yeah. and they don't want to operate a fleet of vans. They value the relationship with the distributors. They just want to have the flexibility to make their own business decisions and act in a way that rep- represents their best interests. And that's part of what we're trying to do here with 518 by replacing that ridiculous franchise law, the handcuffs brewers to distributors for 108, you know, six months, even if the distributor is acting in bad faith. And we're also giving them the right to unlimited self-distribution. 
Carly and Brian self-distribute. They should have that choice. If that works for their business model, great. Should they choose to use a distributor, that's fine too. It's called capitalism. We think it's crazy enough that it might just work. Yeah. And it's weird. It's working in a lot of other sectors just fine. Yeah. Um, and then I would think like one one group that if there was this damage being done by brewery tap room sales would be tap houses, like a, a restaurant or bar that's built completely around providing a lot of options for beer. However, in Frederick, they keep opening mm-hmm. and thriving. Um, and Roast House Pub provided uh, their support for the 518 that you posted right. on Facebook. So Brian Voltaggio from Volt. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's a pretty good restaurant. I think they have a pretty solid business model, and I think they're going to be around for a while. And they and Brian came down uh, from his restaurant to testify yeah, in favor of the testimony. bill. So and and every restaurant you talk to will say I mean, if you get them in an honest environment away from you know, some hearing room, they'll say that these, that these craft beer, these craft beer brewers, uh, create a, a more vibrant environment. They bring tourists downtown. They attract the millennial crowd with disposable income. They'll go to the tap room, maybe have a couple of beers, sample a flight, and then they'll go on to dinner and they'll make an evening out of it more often than not. And I think Carly would have more experience with this than either of us would, but the tap room tends to be their first stop in the evening, certainly not their only stop. I mean, when my wife and I go out, that's usually mm-hmm. we, we hit a couple breweries just real quick, and then we go out to dinner and then Same here. finish the, the night. Yeah, the, it's all, and especially on, on Saturdays when people have come in from out of town, they've already hit Flying Dog, then they come to us, and we're just lucky we're in Flying Dog shadow. And then they're like, where should we go to eat? And they're, it's pretty cool to be able to say, like, you know, A, B, C, D, all these restaurants have, have great craft local beer. And um, there's just quite a few that are, you know, getting really creative with, with what they're offering. And uh, it's, it's cool to see. So I do want to take a real quick break to thank one of the great restaurants in Frederick Roast House Pub for their continued support of the Uncapped podcast. March 27th, they'll have the War Dock of Beer Dinner. And they just recently had a taco night with you yes. that I heard was pretty awesome. Yes, uh, we uh, we w- we headed over there, had some tacos, and uh, it was a great. You know, we'd been there for lunch, but we'd never been there in the evening. It was very vibrant. It was like it was, it was cool. We, we obviously don't tell them we don't get out that much. <laughs> and then um, keep your eyes open. They should be. We should be announcing soon the Roast House uh, VIPA cards for um, uncapped listeners. And you'll be able to get those, I think, at the restaurant or from me directly. Um, so once again, thank you, Roast House Pub, for your support for not only uh, this podcast, but also for the craft beer industry in general. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, just c- continuing a thought with uh, the synergy that exists between restaurants and breweries. My wife, and if she sees this, she's going to you know, clobber me for bringing her into this <laughs> conversation. But she's not a beer head. She, <laughs> She, her tastes run along the lines of Chardonnay and Prosecco, so I'll put that out there. First time I, I took her to the Eastern Shore Brewing Company down in my neck of the woods down in uh, Talbot County. I guess we hadn't communicated well, as some couples just tend to talk in shorthand once they've been together for a long time. I thought I was going to be able to just hang out at the Eastern Shore Brewing Company and hang out with Ace and Lori for the evening. They had great beer. They were actually introducing a new one. Uh, they had a nice food truck out there. I thought everything was set. And after the first couple of rounds, she said, okay, well, where are we having dinner? <laughs> so I, I thought we were just going to get a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> I thought this this was dinner. And she made it very clear to me that that was not, that was not you know, regardless of what my intentions were that <laughs> evening, we were going to go somewhere else. So we went to, we went down the street to a wonderful little bistro and, uh, and uh, had a nice dinner. But we, but they had a great line of craft beers on tap. And honestly, there's no way I would have picked a restaurant that just had the corporate macro brews. So I, you know, when I go and I look for a restaurant to go, you know, I'm looking at Yelp and I'm looking online, I want to see the beer list. And if they're not selling, if they don't have good locally produced Maryland beer on tap, I'm going to walk on by. And I think a lot of consumers are in my boat. And that's a, like food trucks. That's another entire industry that I, I, don't think would survive especially in places like frederick 
if if there weren't breweries. And it's pretty cool to see too that um, already you know a few a few of them are have already have their eyes on brick and mortar. And like that's a way to get into you know you don't have the budget up here but you're down here and you work you get a following and uh, you know that I've been amazed that those guys work really hard and crank out food and um, it's been cool to see I know uh, uh, there's two of them that are working on a brick and mortar idea and uh, it's just it's a great it's great to see it. it gives people that access to getting into the game at a, at a lower investment. Um, so that's been cool to see. Well, yeah, and even in Baltimore, um, Union oh, yeah. just had yeah. on their, the well-crafted pizza is joining the Union Collective and their mm-hmm. big adult playground. And they'll be going from just being a pizza, an awesome pizza truck. It was like a 1947 Dodge yeah. truck or something like that. Um, to having a brick and mortar location within the collective. Is there going to be like a kid holding pen area there, or like maybe a kinder care or something? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe like when I open my third business, it'll be. A, I think there there are two um, spaces still available. So actually, that would be the perfect compliment, like a pay by the hour daycare. Right. When I when I saw that, I just I went on Facebook and said I asked my wife. Can we just live here? <laughs> I mean, if we have well-crafted and Blackwing, you know, all in the same space, can we just make? Can and we just pitch a t- yeah. yeah, Seriously, can we just can we just uh, pop a tent in the parking <laughs> lot and make that our weekend and summer residence? Because they got everything I need to survive. That's what they should start just building upwards. Also, to have a bunch <laughs> of condominiums above it too, and then. It, it just would be the most amazing place ever. Right? Why wouldn't we all live there? <laughs> But that, yeah, but Chris, that's an amazing story. That when we talk about the craft beer, we talk about the craft beer story for the public. It's not just the jobs they create. It's not just the money they're putting back into the economy and the revenue they're creating. These these people are transforming communities. Think about Union Craft, for instance. The, the space they're in now was an old industrial sign manufacturer. It was it was abandoned when Adam and Kevin and John took it over and created the Union Craft experience. And now they're going into a 140,000 square foot space that had been a Sears Roebuck distribution facility. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to go back to needing that. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, the Sears and Roebuck's not coming yeah. back through that door anytime soon. It was an abandoned space. And now that's going to be one of the single biggest tourist attractions in the state of Maryland, if not the East Coast. And those success stories are happening all over Maryland. And Kevin has offered to watch anyone's kids for $20 an hour. Sweet. <laughs> Tell Kevin that's a deal. <laughs> and, throw, and I do tip generously. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if that will be like within the brew house or where that will be, but Kevin will watch your kids. Just tell Kevin you. that is taxable income. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to report that, Kevin. Oh, thanks, Kev. <laughs> so um, I think now would be a good chance to give you the option to actually answer a question without oh, being attacked yes, about yes. Uh, drunk driving and why I, I, I believe it was phrased that, that it would be irresponsible to l- allow breweries to sell as much beer through their tap room as they want because it will increase drunk driving. Yes. To give a little background, and, I, you know, it also said that, you know, at, Black and Decker and our local bakery—they're not uh, restrict on the, the amount of uh, drills and bread they can sell. And the point there is that we're not restricting producers in any other in any other industry based on how much they can sell. And I came into the uh, the day ready to go with lots of answers this, um, and ready with pe- pe- peppy little comebacks. I was not prepared to answer a question about drunk driving. Um, I wish I would have said, uh, you know, actually drunk driving is illegal. Uh, that would have just ended turns because out. turns out, uh, and I, uh, it kept coming up over and over and over again. And it's and actually just, illegal I'm, no matter yeah. what beverage you are drinking. Drunk driving is illegal. It is actually illegal for us to overserve our patrons. And that's just, I really wish someone that was asked that. Because, yeah. But most people were probably the same as you, like weren't thinking I was going to be. It seems ridiculous. That, like, like we can sell plastic bottles yeah. of pop off. I mean, not we, but like you can you can buy enough alcohol and to you know 
to take a shower in. I mean, it's it, the that'd be the, an uncomfortable shower. Yes, it would. It would. I mean, Carly. So, I mean, Carly wasn't prepared to answer that question yeah. because it's the most ridiculous question that anybody could possibly yeah, ask. I can I can sit on the bar stool at the Washington Street Pub, you know, five minutes from my house, and consume unlimited quantities of beer, wine, and spirits, many of which products have a far higher alcohol content than than a craft beer. But there are no restrictions on how much Anheuser-Busch or Diageo can produce. There are no limits on how much their distributors can distribute. There are no limits on how much I can consume at the bar. Um, You know, it's basically up to the server to exercise good judgment, just like in the same as the case at Attaboy. Here's what's going on behind the scenes. They have the, the, uh, the, the brewers and distributors are using the services of a highly regarded political consultant. I'm not going to mention any names because I'm not going to bring a a staff person into the conversation, but they're using a consultant who is looking for a rationale to perpetuate the status quo, uh, something that's publicly plausible or palatable, and they're trying to weave this this public health argument as a way of putting a politically attractive face on old school 1950 style protectionism. It's not authentic. The, the public's not buying it. And honestly, the legislature looks pretty silly when they try to advance that argument in the face of common sense. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think there's a single brewer alive that's going to advocate for drinking and driving. No, and, and it's all of our employees are best certified. Yeah, you know, so it's, that, you that go through my... a, a lot of stuff. And for us, we would do anything in our power to, one, make sure people are safe, and two, this is our livelihood. We're not going to overserve someone because we're held like legally accountable. So I think it, there was just a, a little moment, and then I, I um, had it was later in the day. Where, well, later in the day got super chippy, I, and so I it, maybe if it would have been later in the day, like I think you know, um, Delegate Kramer obviously shouldn't be on the on a board discussing alcohol um, when he has personal interests that. He's renting property to liquor stores where you're making money from, you know, the alcohol industry in general. I actually don't think you should be able to make decisions about alcohol, you know, or you sell your property or whatnot. But that was neither here nor there. But it's after being, you know, basically tried to be this embarrassed scapegoat that you don't drink and drive after you use drills. Like, I just kind of laughed because it was a little bit far-fetched. Yeah, Ben was the one who was selected to carry the public health argument. And, it uh, was, it was yeah, bad. I mean, we've known Ben a long time. I mean, and she's right. He's, he's, a, you know, he's a landlord for uh, the Montgomery Department of Liquor Control. So if I were him, I probably would have passed and encouraged him to find somebody else to read that script. But I don't make decisions. I don't advise the legislature. And he also got very emotional about some of the things. And it was just, it was a little much. There were a few t- people that got, their emotions got a little bit overboard for uh, for a hearing on p- public policy. I thought that I'm keeping them, I'm keeping it here. And this is my livelihood. Maybe, uh, maybe you guys should also keep it here. Yeah, the other thing I'll say, Chris, on the whole uh, public health argument, we had eight meetings of the Reform on Tap Task Force. We met in every corner of the state. Uh, we had, in addition to those eight town, those eight public task force meetings, we had town hall meetings in which members of the public and stakeholders were invited to come and share their perspective with members of the group. And we did that over a course of six months. And not once did we hear from any member of the public health community who would step up and say that there that there is a clear and present danger to public health? So this is a manufactured concern. It's almost like algebra that we all tried to master when we were in high school. Certainly, in my case, with limited success, <laughs> where you already have the answer, and now you're trying to go <coughs> backward and show the work. That's kind of what's happening here. Again, I'll just go back and be optimistic. If they if they vote, and if they're allowed to vote on this bill. 518 on the merits on the substance of the bill the 12 pack they're gonna they're gonna vote in favor if the bill goes down then it has nothing to do with the merits it has everything to do with the control that the lobbyists exert over the political process in annapolis and that would be a shame because we're talking about people's livelihoods we're talking about maryland's business reputation and we're really talking about the future of the maryland economy look what happened just right up the road here where Flying Dog had a $54 million expansion project. 
in the works that would have created so many new jobs and put so much more money into this region's economy. And um, you know, they pulled the plug on it uh, this past fall because they can't make it work given the laws that are in place in the state of Maryland right now. So that, that was one of the things that and it, it went into the overarching of what infuriated me wa- listening to and watching the testimony was where it wasn't Brand Davis kept saying last year 1283 was bad so we're just going to oh. roll it back to where it was so why why does that affect flying dog we're going back to where it was good and and he kept saying giving that refrain but never letting anyone like actually answer the question or if they did it would it, it would kind of get lost and at least in their case i think it's a lot of the uncertainty of in the fickle nature that they seem to have where there isn't going to be this uh, bullseye that you can aim towards that it's ever changing. So to invest that many millions of dollars when you don't know what, if that business model is going to be valid Mm -hmm. in a couple years is dangerous. And a bank would be crazy to give you that money when they, if they actually, you know, like, we're not near the limits because we're, you know, we're small, we're still growing, but we would be crazy to invest more to get near it if the thought was that it could go in the wrong direction. And I think that's, uh, you know, they kept, they keep saying that no one's near these limits or, and yeah, he, that I don't think anyone actually, and especially the members of his committee actually follow that argument and, and believe in it because it was just like a, a arguing with a, a a teenager like the line of argument was tired we we saw you're trying to justify it you know I, at some point someone should be like can we just move on can you stop using that argument because yeah. no one's it, it's just like he just wanted to justify and and unfortunately like some people had three minutes and some people had unlimited yeah, microphone time <laughs> like i could just keep saying the same thing over and over again <laughs> uh, i, I want to be like yawn but you know i didn't you did a great job. You, you, <laughs> you, you really did. But again, I'll go back to the extent that Derek or the Delegate Davis felt the need to continuously justify the events of last year as a way of setting the stage for what we're dealing with this year. That just illustrates the extent to which he's heard from people all mm-hmm. over the state. Mm-hmm. So to people who are watching us right now, don't ever think that your voice doesn't matter. Don't ever think that your legislators aren't listening and that they don't care. That's not to say they're always going to vote the right way because sometimes these guys feel they're going to take a calculated risk. They'll go with the they'll go with the bucks over the bodies, as they say in the political game. But don't ever think that they're not listening because what I saw on February 23rd was were members of a committee that had been a little bit shell shocked by the volume of the public reaction to what happened last year. Yeah, that would be my next thing that I was most surprised by was how many times they brought up paraphrasing that their feelings had been hurt by oh, things that people were saying it like I, that just seemed so weird i i really wish <laughs> that was the other thing that i wanted to like stay but we had to stay i only had a small amount of time it's like you know people of of my generation and younger we're not gonna you're not gonna hear our voice through campaign donations like that's just not like that's not younger people you're gonna hear it through getting loud on social media. This is how younger people communicate. And when you're not even on social media, and I'm not like a Facebook check-in every moment, look, I just walked my dog and ran a marathon. Just every once in a while to make a crazy Well, yeah, yeah. Now I'm definitely on social media more. But this is how young people can communicate, organize, and make stuff happen. And to not even be on there or be all up in arms that, that people are angry at you, this is unfortunately or fortunately you know, 2018. And I don't think it's going anywhere. And so I had said, you know, I, I mistakenly said social media suicide, and it literally, you can just see them like cringe, like, ah! <laughs> but when you've been on, you know, been, on, been an elected official since the 80s, I can imagine it is scary to now see constant feedback. Like, I, I do understand that. Um, but it's you got to get it a thick, thicker skin and understand that like that's how people communicate and that's how you can make rally people. 
I, I'm not, you know, I, I know what they said, but there may be a little bit of rhetorical sleight of hand with the members of the committee because on the one hand, each of them made a point of saying, I don't follow this Facebook or yeah. Twitter or <laughs> but Twitter. But I've seen it all. But they had every <laughs> single post that I've made in the last six months because <laughs> yeah. right, on the, right after, I think it was, I think it was Talmadge Branch who said, I don't follow, I don't follow Facebook, but on on December 31st at 1048, <laughs> you said this. I'm like, I, I thought you, how much I thought you weren't on Facebook. Someone yeah. is, is at, um, some of their campaigns is actively like untagging themselves in all my posts. Cause I'm yeah. like, I just tagged you. And they'll untag. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're paying attention. And I think it, you know, it just, I think that as we, you know, as, as, People, as elected officials turn over and, you know, you get more people that are younger. And it has nothing to do with age. Um, but but the the action and the way people now feel, especially you see, like, uh, high school kids now. Today is a great too. example of people walking out. Like, high school kids and young kids are getting involved, and they're finding ways to be active and get their voices heard. And I think to ignore social media is is a stupid move on their point. And, you know. They're politicians. They need to get some thicker skin. Now, I will say that, I and I've said it repeatedly, that people should be respectful, though. And they're, That and is the, true. The threats and the personal attacks, and the, that's not the best way to convey your your opinion and what you're advocating for. That That is totally true. That is true. But when you're just clearly stating the facts of you've received money from Belgian interests – that's just a fact, and you don't want that on your social – like, that, you know, campaign financing has become – is, you know, a hot-button issue that will become, I think, even more so in the next elections. That, you know, if you're accepting money from certain donors, you have to be willing to ask answer the questions. So that, that was a question – you had said the power of lobbyists. Does that – in what wields that power? Where, where does that power come from? Is that from it's money? Okay, it's that's money. what. But it's not from the. They're the person in the per, in that legislator's ear. It's the donations and the from special interests and. Well, the cause is the money, and the effect <coughs> is they're the person who's that in the legislator's ear. Okay, right. That's that comes with a cover charge. <laughs> uh, uh, so no, it, it, whenever whenever a politician says it's about the you know it's about the kids, it's about the health of the health of the community it's about public health follow the money um it's you know but it it, it has to change and i've and i've told several people this in the day since uh, since the bill hearing because i think you're right i think there was a sense of an element of surprise maybe folks were deflated by the volume of the uh, of the opposition on the committee some of the tactics that were employed that day and what i when i try to remind people is this is going to happen because progress always happens. There's not a politician in America that, that was powerful enough to save the rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> the buggy whip. The, mo- the Model <laughs> T, the washboard. Progress always wins in the end. Now, we can't always pinpoint the timing of it. But progress always wins over stagnation. And what we have now in Annapolis is a stagnant, broken system. It was conceived in prohibition. It's been sustained by uh, very wealthy, moneyed interests, but it's outdated. It no longer serves, if it ever did, it certainly no longer serves a constructive purpose. And it's now getting in the way of economic progress and um, our quality of life, and it's going to go. So keep it up. Keep calling your delegates and senators. Keep showing up at our happy hours to show that there is so much energy and vibrance around this cause because it is making an impact. Even if you think it isn't, it is making a difference, I assure you. It, that's the only way dollars can be ignored. You know, one of the, fir- you know, one of the first people I worked for in this business, and I won't mention his name, but he said, and it was when I was working on a political campaign, he said, you know, if you're ever forced into a choice between the bodies and the bucks, go with the bodies every time because you can always find your money elsewhere, but your voters are your voters. Mm-hmm. So I... Going into this, I didn't. I, I I decided I didn't want to be negative towards representatives, but it's becoming more and more difficult as I think of things that were said. And one of the one of the other shocking we're moments. We're getting wound too, up now. Yeah, because well, like 
I and I what there were several times where as I'm watching it, like I was just angry. And Graham got several of those text messages where, can you believe that? Like, I sent a quote of, and I'll get to one of them. I wasn't going to bring it up, but now I'm mad about it again. Um, but where there was the one gentleman from, uh, I think is, I can't remember his name, but he was from the um, campaign reform group. Uh, and he brought up the amount of money uh, donated oh, to yeah, the yeah. different representatives. And then. I'm just going to, the hissy fit that the one guy, and I can't remember which representative was, he threw a temper tantrum about being accused of what donations would cause him to do. But why would someone give you a donation if you're not going to vote in the the way? Well, his response was quite frankly embarrassing for him. He took it. Like, so obvi- person, you know, someone, and that's like, and usually that's someone who's yeah, a good That's how I react to my like, husband when he says something true to me yeah. that I want. Like, <laughs> like, how, how could you say that? And the next day I'm like, maybe that was right. Like he, yeah. he went so far overboard. It was, it was almost funny. It was a little bit of a drama, drama King moment. And then <laughs> for, for delegate Davis to just be like, eh. I take all the money. Like it's fine, you know. Like, <laughs> look, and, and you I'm know, used to it. You know, it's not inherently wrong to take campaign contributions. And well, I mean, in the, the world we live in, you have to. Yeah, you it's have just, to. It's it's the it's the lubricant that that drives our process, unfortunately. And it's money is all too um, bountiful in this system that we have, but it's it's the one we've got. Uh, and I'll just say right now, Peter has taken a lot. Peter has accepted a lot of contributions over in over his career from from distributors and retailers, and that was discussed during that day long hearing. Yeah. And what I would say is, they're buying into they're buying into his agenda. He's not buying into theirs. And what Peter has def- definitely shown, I don't think you can accuse him of anything different. Regardless of who has made contributions to him in the past, he will break with his supporters, and he will break with the leadership of his own political party when he feels the public interest hangs in the balance. Obviously, what he's done the past year has put him at odds. I don't know if it's irreparable or hopefully it's not, but it's pretty frosty right now with the leadership of the Maryland distribution and retail industries. And you know, we're just going to have to live with it because um, what we're what we're fighting for right now with with the Reform on Tap Act of 2018, it's the right thing to do. And every time we hear the stories of people like Brian and Carly who are raising a family and you know investing their life savings to create a business, and um, Johnny and Tommy Nord down in Salisbury repurposing an old abandoned ice house on Route 13 to create Evolution Craft Brewing and um, seeing seeing the way people like Julie Verratti from Denizens give back to the community every chance she gets. That's just a reminder of who it is and what it is that we're fighting for here. And it just it makes us more energized than ever before. And I would even say, I would doubt there are any distributors listening, but uh, they, the first person to jump on board and support their local craft brew, like these are, these are the businesses that you've partnered with Let's just make them successful. I think they're missing a huge business opportunity by not saying, you know what? I'm going to have equal and sided contracts. I'm going to make sure I do a good job. And, and these are based on how well we're doing in our success metrics that we set up. And the first one that does that, I mean, I, I, you know, I think they're missing a business opportunity by not saying union is expanding and I'm going to run with that and, and, make them the biggest guy on the east coast because they that's where you know the regional expansion is really where it's at not these not attaboy mom pop kind of stuff so um but yeah i i think that they're missing the fact that like the country's moving forward without maryland so yeah like see what see what they're doing in north carolina see what they're doing in oregon virginia i better get on board in the one of the sometimes overt, sometimes very direct, they made accusations about the level of enforcement that the comptroller was putting on to the alcohol industries. Yeah, I think and, our field enforcement guy, Jeff Kelly, uh, oh, yeah, fought he, back pretty hard that, on in, that. In, you know, in, I mean, uh, it, I mean that, there are very few things that get us worked up because we're, we've been in this business a long time and we've seen it all. But what happened there was you had a member of the House of Delegates who honestly – 
didn't know what he was talking about, and he was questioning the integrity of sworn law enforcement officers. And, you know, he was treading on thin ice there. Yeah, so, like, what I was going to say is that I've, I have seen <clears throat> breweries online take heat for policies that they have in their tap rooms or at the brewery that are and they cite because that is what the comptroller's enforcement person told right. them that it needs to be and like they easily if there wasn't enforcement could just do what people were saying so that they wouldn't take that heat but so there's obviously examples of enforcement happening which and as you said like they are questioning the Chris, you integrity could, of a <laughs> Yeah, Chris, you could come down in our basement. I'd invite, you know, uh, Carly, I'd invite you to do the same. Come down into the basement of the Goldstein Treasury Building someday, and you would see an entire warehouse filled with contraband alcohol where smugglers are bringing it into the state, untaxed, unstamped, to sell it on the black market, and more often than not, uh, put these products in the hands of kids. And the Maryland Comptroller's Office, for decades, and it goes well beyond, or right well before Peter Franco took office, partners with our state and local law enforcement agencies to get those products out of the trunks of those cars and to keep those things out of the hands of kids. Uh, we worked with the we worked with the distributors and retailers to make sure that uh, powdered alcohol, which is kind of another way of putting a date rape drug on the market, uh, we kept those off of supermarket shelves. Um, we did the same thing with caffeinated alcohol beverages a few years ago after it was causing kids to get behind the wheel not knowing the effects of the drinks and we were seeing fatalities and we got those off the street so we have a national reputation of being the strongest and the most effective law enforcement agency uh, of alcohol beverages in the country and so for for Warren to say that um, just to try to score some political points it was pretty disappointing and I thought, I'm sorry, I forgot, your enforcement Jeff officer, Kelly, good guy. he did have a very good response and um, was able to show emotion without being petty. Yeah. Like, actually gave facts. and. <laughs> um, He's one of the best. He really is. And then one of, the, um, one of the moments that got me the most angry was the quote, I'll put the gun back into the holster and oh, resist geez. the urge. I I was just taken aback by how tone deaf and say pathetic of a comment that was because um, he couldn't handle a millennial Tim Scouton um, <laughs> giving them a I run uh, giving good <laughs> arguments. I don't even know he Tim did, that well. Uh, Tim's he's a great. little punk. He's, <laughs> he's a wild man. I love yeah. that guy, Tim. If Tim, if you're watching, I love you, man. And he, I, I think he did a great job because he, ain't it, it's definitely his personality. He needled and he needled <laughs> until the point. But like, that was just so tone deaf. It was unbelievable. Tone deaf for the moment. And then ma just maybe in general. We just, yeah. Well, <laughs> especially for that day, that week in time, I think is incredibly tone deaf. Uh, but I, I also think that, you know, I, I'm chalking it up to it was a long, long day and that was a terrible thing to say. There's just not a defense for that. Yeah. Long day. We all have to be careful in this business. Um, so then we focused mainly on what we want to happen, 518. Do you think 1052 has any traction, or do you think that there's been enough outcry that I don't think ten, I don't think 1052 ever had any traction. Honestly, I think it was a statement. I think it was a. I think it was a message that if you uh, if 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 you don't like what we give you, we could take it away. And I think the spirit behind 1052 was really troubling. And what it was was the legislature treating the Maryland craft beer industry like children. like uh, right like um, contentious children. children who complained about their dessert, and so they're going to take the dessert away, and. We shouldn't be treating these. We, we we shouldn't be treating people like that. It's not okay because people like Brian and Carly Ogden, they pay my salary. They pay Peter Franco's salary, and they they paid for that hearing room. They pay the salaries of each of each of those delegates and their respective staff members who are sitting around the table that day. They're not wayward children. 
they are our bosses. They're the taxpayers who allow us to pay for better schools, safer communities, a cleaner bay, and everything else that we we care about. And we need to be responsive uh, to these folks. And so more than the substance of 1052, because I don't think it ever really had a, a chance, I think the I think the predicate behind it just reflected a sense of disconnected arrogance. And it just shows that we really do need fundamental change in our political system. And I actually don't think that they thought when they put that together, I thought they would be like, we'll get them, we'll show them. I don't think they, they thought they would get under, get such a reaction. And I think whoever um, was giving them information and suggesting they should do this really was giving them poor information. That was poor, poor political play. I, you know, I think some things could have maybe, you know, evolved and, and not, but that really was a, a bad play, in my opinion. Um, Tim is watching, and <laughs> he'll, he'll accept being called a punk anytime. <laughs> um, the man's a legend. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I really hope that someday there is a Gunda brewery to go to. I think um, that's, that there will be no too. doubt there will be one. They should make it in, they should come to Frederick to open it, but. Yeah. It, anywhere is fine. Come to the east side. But I think it's very telling when you create a bill that is punitive to an entire industry, except you carve out for one particular brewery to benefit from it. And then that brewery makes a public statement saying, whoa, 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 we don't support this. Right. Right. (laughs) Not us. We had nothing to do with this. and, And I would think from... From a company the size of Diageo, it's like they're not going to make a statement like that lightly. Like it's not they've put a lot of thought into. I really feel bad for Diageo. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that's happening in Baltimore County. They've chosen to invest in in that relay facility and create something very meaningful and very good for not only Baltimore County but for the region. And people are going to come here. And they're going to yeah. spend money here to be a participant in that experience. And it's, it's unfortunate that the whole, that whole thing got tied up in Just a mess. this mess, <laughs> that, what, 1283, and then everything that's followed. Because it really did cast an unwelcome pall over what should be a wonderful good news event for the entire state. So I feel really bad about that. Yeah, even, and even for, I think it, it's painted them in a bad light within the industry to some um even though i like i truly believe guinness being there will be amazing for the craft beer industry in maryland and most of the people who go there are going to then just straight down the street go to heavy seas and then baltimore is not that far away where you can go to union waverly um everyone else is there and then columbia is close by so there are a lot of craft brewers that are going to benefit from uh, guinness being there i think what a lot of people have a problem with is the legislature acted only when they had an opportunity to do something for this this multinational firm that was coming in to spend big dollars when if it hadn't been for guinness if this had merely been a matter of helping small local independent craft brewers we wouldn't have gotten the first base i think that's what people have a real problem with yeah and then but in that instance so it's kind of misguided to i agree with that blame guinness for it it's really the lobbyists well, legislators i'll and, be the loud mouth kind of little jerky pie but they, <laughs> jerky pie i love that they could jump in and help out a little more I mean, they, 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 have to, they have to some extent i yeah. believe they, they could be, um, you know, just as, as some of the, you know, it's difficult for the bigger guys because they have national interests and, um, you know, you, it's it's a much more complicated um, assessment of everything. You have to play nice on all sides. But, um, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. But I believe, from what I understand, they did help a lot last year. I think it, things got very confusing yeah. and very muddied at the end. Um <clears throat> I think things were happening so quickly and things were happening in the privacy of a back room that um, messages just got muddied. And we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, and then then there's also the – there was the bill to 
remove the comptroller's office from enforcement, which really like, you can't see that from any other way as trying to slap Peter on the wrist. <laughs> I mean, someone is actually getting paid by somebody to give this type of political advice. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's good work if you can get it. But you know what? I thought that uh, they the bill itself, like, as ridiculous as it is, if you want to set up a task force to study how well these guys are doing their jobs, great, because from what I see, they're very transparent and doing a great job. And I, that's the one thing I saw of, like, you know, fine. If, if you guys think that's what's n- needed from our taxpayer dollars, you want to spend money on that, like, brutal, I don't think it's a good use of your time. But, yeah, and then also I think in that bill they also were going to study – drunk driving and and whatnot like yeah let's find out where the drunk driving is happening let's let's open this up let's where are people buying their alcohol you know it like i think it if really it it would have been a, a funny of like really if that's what you two are going for go get them like even just the those two together putting together a bill one was like a pro smoking in public places one's anti-smoking public place. like it was just like this marriage of 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 a funny little tr- duo that um you know, are way off in left field. And I can tell you I've made some errors on our, our tax returns. And I I get I get an email just that week, hey, and it's maybe over a couple dollars, you know, like a couple cents a barrel here. But, like, I get an email right away and I've got to fix it. And so, I, like, if, if, they're, if, they're doing, if they're not doing a good job, then let's study it. When, when every new employee comes into the office, uh, the comptroller greets them and he says the same thing. You're here to deliver the three R's. You're here to respect the taxpayer. You're here to be responsive to the taxpayer. And you're here to deliver results for the taxpayer. Now, it doesn't always mean you're going to give them what they want, but you're going to give them an answer. You're going to give it to them uh, with alacrity and to the extent that we can be of help and help them achieve a more positive outcome, obviously, within the framework of the law, you're going to do it. And if those aren't the values that you work by, you may want to go work someplace else. Yeah, someone recently told me the next time that I had the comptroller on or I see him somewhere to thank him because they got their Maryland state return back in two days. Oh. That's, that's <laughs> our average. Our average, uh, even in this age of tax fraud where we have to double and triple check and make sure that there are no, uh, there's no possibility of a fraudulent return, our average is 2.2 business days, which we believe is the quickest turnaround time in the country. I can't imagine there would be much faster. Yeah. But you still do not turn your TPS reports in on time. <laughs> We're going to have to work on that. I understand we have a new cover sheet now. <laughs> so I've, I've already met with Bill Lumberg on My that. My favorite was they was looking at a graph without seeing the key on the graph. And then it was like it was like a Adam Sandler moment. Just like, oh, 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 that is oh. – Okay, keep moving, keep moving. I, <laughs> Nothing I, I to gotcha. see here. Yeah, yeah. This graph shows that you're only serving this. Uh, nope. It was quite a day for all of yeah. us. It really was. <laughs> but the TPS report comment was just such a perfectly timed, great moment of levity. <laughs> Thank you. I, anytime you can work in an office space or an old school reference, you're having a good day, no matter how long it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think we've covered just about everything, probably, unless you guys have anything more you want to say. I don't think so. Other than to reiterate, it's not over. um, Not over by one shot. You should still, if you haven't already, contact your legislators and be polite. Be polite. It's not about beer. This is about jobs. This is about Maryland businesses, and I think that's at the heart of it. I couldn't say anything better. She's exactly right. Uh, Yes to 518, good jobs, stronger economy, revitalized communities. That's what it's all about, and that's what we're here for. And so in a breakdown for what the next steps are, so the the committee will give a favorable or a negative um, right. response to all of the bills. Um Anything that's given favorable will then cross over to the Senate. Well, then for, if it's if the oh committee no, then it goes to the goes House to the vote goes to the full committee goes to the full House for a floor vote, and then it goes over to the Senate. And then that's when they work in their changes, and then it right. goes back. So the committee itself can't make amendments. 
Yes. They can. Yeah, they can. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was one of the big, big yes. things last year where 1283 had a couple things in it, but then when it came out of committee, it had been amended so that it gotcha, would gotcha. decimate the industry. Basically, yeah, you can amend you can amend the bill in its entirety after you can just basically redline everything after the first whereas, and so yeah, so you know our our concern is that you know, it's the possibility that they could you know give us a couple of pieces of low-hanging fruit but not really address the the core issues of these artificially restrictive limits or this fundamentally unfair franchise law or um, the prohibition on unlimited self-distribution and then we, that basically freezes the clock where they say well let's give let's give we, we gave you a couple things last year let's give it you know four or five years to make it work um, that's why we're really pushing for a an intellectually honest vote mm-hmm. on this bill. Obviously, the legislature has the right to amend. If they see an opportunity to make the bill better, they should do so. But um, let's let's take a vote on all these provisions. Four or five years, Maryland beer will be left behind. Yeah, you know, every every state is moving forward, and we're we're going to be the laughing stock. Well, we are, we are currently, but you know, if if this just continues. And I think also from the Brewer's standpoint, we, we realize what can happen if we're not active and mobilizing. And uh, yeah, we're not we're not going home. When is crossover day? It's this week. Okay. So it, it has to come out of committee, have its votes before right. crossover day to go into the Senate. It beca- uh, yeah, it, it certainly becomes a lot. I mean, there there's always things you can do with late bills, but yes, uh, it certainly becomes a lot harder if you don't uh, hit your crossover deadline. Okay. All right, well, thank you so much, both of you, for coming in and participating in today's discussion. Chris, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, this is really cool. Thanks. And uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Woo-hoo. Contact Cheers. your local legislator. Respectfully. Yes. Yes. Be nice. <laughs> The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.